Shabbat Shalom and good morning, everyone. I'm Rabbi David Levine, and this is Live from Home. Shabbat Shalom. I'm Sandy Levine, and I'm here too. And we want to welcome all of our Beth Israel Messianic Synagogue members, our podcast listeners from around the world, and everyone who's been connecting with us through Facebook Live for the first time. We're happy that you could join us today. This is Yom Shabbat on Saturday morning, May 23rd, 2020. It also happens to be our 45th anniversary. Yay! Or 44, uh, 44. 44. Which is it, Sandy? 44, that's right, 44. So this morning, Brian and Deanne Rose will welcome us to their home and they'll lead us in Hebrew prayers and in worship. And after that, Rabbi Yuri and I will join back in and we will study the scriptures together with you and encourage you and, and also build you up, I believe. Then we'll return to the Rose home for a final worship song. Don't forget this morning to hit the share button so you can let your Facebook friends know that this is a good time to start in with us and hit the like and the uh, follow buttons as well. And I also wanna give special greetings to our international friends all over the world. Warm welcome to all of our podcast listeners, all of the mishpacha in many different countries around the world. We're so glad you could be with us now. And please join us in the comments section. Say hello and feel free to comment during the, the worship and the messages in a way that's productive, in a way that's friendly. Sometimes we just need to hear from each other and give each other what we can call air hugs even. Shabbat shalom, everyone. This is a great time, really, yes. as we're counting our days towards Shavuot, which takes place next week this coming week. It's a wonderful time of the year. And so from Sandy and me, we say Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Now let's join the Rose family to Live From Home. Hi, everyone. Good morning. Shabbat Shalom. I'm Brian Rose. This is my wife, Deanne. And we want to welcome you to our home. Let's begin our time of worship together with the Shema. So wherever you are, you can turn and face towards Jerusalem and join together. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Baruch Shem Kevod Malchuto Le'olam va'ed. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed is the name of his glorious kingdom for all eternity. And now the Veshamru, the scriptural basis for why we gather together every Shabbat. The children of Israel shall keep the Shabbat, observing it throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, and from one Shabbat to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. This Ruben is
If you'd like to sing along with us and you're on Facebook, you can look in the comment section. The lyrics are right there. We'll just begin our time to worship the Lord. He 
Yeah. 
Shabbat Shalom congregation. Good morning, everyone, and happy anniversary, Rabbi David and Rabbi Sin Sandy. We love you. Thank you, Brian and Diane, for beautiful worship. I am Rabbi Yuri Koshun, and welcome to our home. Right now, I want to ask you to hit the share button on this Facebook post so you can invite your Facebook friends to join us. And please join in with your comments. Today's chapter from the Torah teaches us about a very important topic and show how the topic relates to Shavuot. So let's read together from Book of Numbers, chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Numbers 2, verse 1 and 2. Adonai said to Moses and Aaron, saying, Let each man encamp under his own standard among the banners of their ancestral house at an appropriate distance around the tent of meeting. If we will read whole Torah chapter this week, Torah chapter, we'll find that the whole chapter speaks of the order that the Lord established within the camp of Israel. I want to read a place from Brita Hadashah to refresh for us today. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33. 1 Corinthians 4, 33. I'm sorry, 14, 33. So verse 33. Because God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Can you see here? From one hand, it's disorder. From another hand is peace. God, God filled us with his shalom to guide us, protect us, and bring God's order into our lives. Because he is not God of disorder, but he is God of order. We are approaching the great holiday of Shavuot. On this day, 2,000 years ago, the Holy Spirit filled the lives of Yeshua's disciples with his presence, and a great revival came to this world. We all desire to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is our desire. We want to be filled with the Spirit of the Lord, to live in his Spirit. We want to be led by the Spirit of God. This is our wish, it's our desire. In book of Romans chapter 8, verse 14, Romans 8, 14, we can see beautiful words here. For all who are led by the Ruach Elohim, these are sons of God. 
sons of God, everyone who led by the Ruach Elohim, by the Spirit of God. In my life, in my experience, I found uh, a misconception. Many people think that uh, life in the Holy Spirit is a life full of disorder and improvisation. That the person who is led by the Holy Spirit does not understand what is happening to him and constantly lives in another dimension, somewhere in heaven. And I know sometimes such people feel guilty if they need to organize and plan something. It seems to them that they do not trust the Lord enough. But I want to say, it's my opinion and I believe in it. Where there is confusion, aimlessness, and spiritual uncleanness, most likely there will not be the presence of the Lord there. In Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 15, Deuteronomy 23, 15, for Adonai your God walks in the midst of your camp to rescue you and to give your enemies over to you. And the last part of this verse, therefore your camp must be holy so that he does not see anything indecent among you and turn away from you. In fact, life in the Holy Spirit is an orderly life in which there is a schedule and goals and in the center of which is the Lord himself. And, you know, I want to remind us that every area of our lives is very important to the Lord. And he wants to be glorified by the orderlessness, orderliness that we display in our lives. We can see the leading by the Holy Spirit in those people who have a stable prayer life, who study the scriptures, who serve God, who work on character, do their job with all their heart, keep faith, love their family, their community. For sure, I know that we are all not perfect people. We still have many areas in life that we need his healing. We need the Lord to bring his order. Let us invite him to do this. It is so important to allow him to heal us, to restore us, to build us, to be our healing. One of the most beautiful passages in the Bible about fasting, about practical steps to do that, are in Isaiah chapter 58. And whole chapter is a beautiful and important chapter. Everything there is important. I want to read a couple of verses and to remind us this time and this process of restoration of our lives. It is, starts with verse 6, Isaiah 58, verse 6. Is not this feast I choose to release the bonds of wickedness, to untie the cords of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to tear off every yoke. I mean, this is the way of restoration, to work in your own life, to put everything in the God's order, to allow the Lord to heal your soul, to heal your land, 
Verse 7. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the homeless poor into your house, when you see the naked to cover him, and not hide yourself from your own flesh and blood? And let's keep and let's read from verse 11. Then Adonai will guide your continually, satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You will be like a watered garden, like a spring of water, whose waters never fail. And verse 12, this is the main idea of this chapter. You will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will rebuild. It is a promise from Adonai. This is the promise from the Lord. You will rebuild the ancient ruins, raise foundations from ages past, and be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets to live in. His promise. He promises us that he will bring his peace and his restoration to us and through us if we will allow him to do so. We should not think that it is too late for us and nothing will change in our lives. This is wrong thinking. The Lord is able to help us and bring his shalom and his order into our life through the Holy Spirit, by the mercy of Yeshua, by his grace, by his love. He is here to help us today because he loves us so much. In Matthew chapter 5, very famous words of Yeshua, Matthew 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world. World, A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. It doesn't matter how hard we try, we are city on a hill. <laughs> and city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Instead, they put it on a lampstand. So it gives light to all in the house. Please remember time of Hanukkah, light of God inside of us, the spirit of the Lord, his presence. In the same way, let your light shine before men so they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. Mazel Tov. We are a city standing on top of a mountain the light that shines to all people. This is our calling from the Lord. This is his goal to us in our lives. A person who does not know yet the Lord can see God's order and structure, his structure in our lives. As children of our father, we are his example. We exhibit his attributes. We display his behaviors because he is our father and we are his children. What a beautiful promise. Here is a beautiful example of Yeshua's mercy and his love, of his power of restoration in the life of a lost sinner. It is in John chapter eight. It is a famous place of scriptures, promise from the Lord. And when I will be reading it, please accept it, receive it for yourself. Allow the Lord to put seed of faith in your spirit, in your heart, because 
if the Lord can change her life, he can change your life too and my life. John chapter 8, verse 3. The Torah scholars and Pharisees bring in a woman who had been caught in adultery. After putting her in the middle, they say to Yeshua, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of committing adultery. In the Torah, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? You have always people like that around you in the most difficult times of your life. When you need the Lord, always will be the, such people. Now they were saying this to trap him so that they would have grounds to accuse him. It was not about the woman. It was about Yeshua. It was testing for his power, for his love, for his heart. But Yeshua, I love his wisdom. He is full of wisdom, full of spirit. But Yeshua kneeled down and started writing in the dirt with his finger. When they kept asking him, when they kept asking him, trying to tempt him, he stood up and said, the sinless one among you, let him be first and throw a stone at her. Then he kneeled down again and continued writing on the ground. What a picture here. Now when they heard, they began to leave one by one. And the oldest ones first, why? Because they know about themselves more. Until Yeshua was left alone with the woman in the middle. Straightening up, Yeshua said to her, woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Yeshua said. Go and sin no more. Please remember that this woman was worthy of death for her sins. But she was forgiven and saved by the grace and love that the Lord showed her. And in the end, the last verse, verse 11, the key to restoration in her life were in the words of Yeshua in verse 11. He told her, you, for, you are forgiven, you are redeemed, but go and sin no more. This was the moment of restoration for this woman. His order came into her life. As in mercy, Yeshua spoke restoration with only one simple condition. Don't do it again. You are forgiven. And in the end, let, let's look at the final example of how immersion in the Holy Spirit changed the lives of people turning their chaos into perfect orderliness. We remember this beautiful story on the holiday of Shavuot, when the Holy Spirit descended on the 120 disciples of Yeshua in Jerusalem. 
it was a very interesting moment. Power of the Lord came upon them. They start praying in the tongues and the Lord manifested himself through them. What I want to bring here and this idea here, the Lord brought his order, his heavenly order in their lives. So some of these disciples had fled in fear when their teacher, the Lord Yeshua was executed. And now we can read it in chapter two, book of Acts. Now having been immersed in the Holy Spirit, they stand boldly testifying without fear and embarrassment to all of Jerusalem. Let's think about uh, Apostle Peter or uh, Rabbi Shimon, the same Shimon, the same Peter, who had recently renounced Yeshua because he was afraid for his own safety. And please remember, he was bold enough. He was strong. He said to Yeshua, Lord, if everybody leave you, I will never leave you. But it was his own power. We can't rely on our own strength and power. It's useless. We, not, we are not strong enough. But when the Holy Spirit came on him and he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he was afraid of nothing. He was bold. He was strong. Even though he was beaten for preaching about Yeshua, in, we can read it in the book of Acts, Peter accepted everything with joy and courage. What is the explanation of such radical change in them? What happened in the lives of these men? What was different? The answer is simply that the Lord now lived inside of them through the Holy Spirit. He filled them. He brought order into their hearts, and they now experienced the shalom, his shalom, that comes only from Messiah, Messiah's shalom. So to wind things up, let me just remind you who seek to follow Yeshua, that he loves you even before you loved him. He loves you so much. He promised to you and to me, he will never leave you. He has incredible plans for you. Even when it seems that all hope is gone, still he is able to bring order out of chaos, to reestablish hope, to bring restoration and beauty and shalom into your life. Thank you so much. And let us welcome Rabbi David from his home. Rabbi David. Rabbi Yuri, that was really a powerful powerful message you shared with us today. And uh, I, I enjoyed listening and thinking about the, the topic so much. I, I think one of the things that made it powerful was your, your telling of the story of Yeshua and the adulteress. And it made me think about something that Yeshua's purpose with her was to restore her. He was offering forgiveness to her before she had really shown readiness because he knew that she could be restored. She was guilty and he was able to pronounce uh, a sentence upon her because he was the one who was without sin according to his own standard. But that's not what he was there to do. He wasn't there to condemn the guilty. 
but to restore them. That's really the heart of Isaiah 58 as well, which Rabbi Yuri was sharing about, that we're called to be active participants and to be agents of redemption and restoration. And even when we ourselves need it too, we are able to be servants of redemption and restoration on behalf of other people. And I think that speaks to something that um, I made some notes about this morning that, were, that was on my mind about myths that people believe in about the Holy Spirit and about Yeshua, about Messiah. And one of the myths is that we need to get good enough to, to deserve forgiveness, or we need to get good enough in order to receive the Holy Spirit. Another way of saying it is we have to reach a level of maturity first or a level of righteousness first. And that sounds very sincere and it sounds uh, very thoughtful, but actually it's not correct. It's a myth, a myth in this sense, a wrong belief. Now, I don't mean the myth in the academic sense of a um, prototypical story that gives us uh, an understanding of an important concept through narrative. So all you academics, you understand the difference between those two use, uses of myth. So I, I'm talking about myth as like a false notion. It's a widely held belief that just happens not to be true or based on things that are true. So there are people who think I need to get good enough. And yet the adulteress wasn't good enough. Neither was Peter good enough. Rather, they were wholehearted. There is a big difference. When you make a decision to turn to the Lord, you make a decision also to turn away from everything that would pull you from God. You make a decision to change your direction. That's what teshuvah, repentance, really means. It doesn't mean that you feel so bad that uh, you're just remorseful with tears, but it means you feel so strongly that you're willing to break free from the bonds of the past, the bondages, the chains of the past, and turn to God knowing that's all you can do. And without God's help, you can't do more. But with God's help, when you make that turn, he breaks, he breaks the powers that hold on to you. With God's help, he makes it possible for you to receive forgiveness. It's necessary for you to respond. Yes, it is. But you don't have to become good enough. In fact, you can't become good enough to deserve God's forgiveness. You can't become good enough to be a deserving receptacle for the Holy Spirit. That is not the way it works in the kingdom of God. I want to tell you how it actually does work. In turning to God, he pours out forgiveness, which enables you to get free. He pours out a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. And your response to that causes your, your appetite for God to grow stronger and stronger. It, it could be compared to something. All, all the people who, who are into healthy eating can understand this. You may need to stop eating sugars and certain carbohydrates in order to break the um, the constant desire for sugar and carbohydrates. And, and yes, 
once you break free, it's important not to go back. In the same way, you may need to stop sinning. That's what Yeshua said to the adulteress, go and sin no more. But that's not the last word. That's the first word. The next thing that's necessary, really, is you and I find that there are limits to our own power and limits to our own ability. And what's necessary, what's absolutely necessary for you and for me, is that we recognize that limitation and then we go to God for his help. Now, what's the help? This is what's so important to understand. Part of the help, an essential part of the help, is to receive the Holy Spirit. For the Holy Spirit to fill you up, for the Holy Spirit to immerse you, to baptize you, if you will, to be uh, to receive tevilah baruch hakodesh, the immersion in the Holy Spirit and with the Holy Spirit, to be filled up with the Holy Spirit and to allow the Holy Spirit to take up His residence inside of you. From inside, He lives with you. He's not just giving you rules and regulations that you're trying to um, you're trying to keep. But rather, being inside of you, he empowers you. Being inside of you, he speaks right to your heart. Being inside of you, he can speak to your mind as well. He can, he can add something to your emotions and to your intellect that you don't have. In fact, he does do that. So this is very important. And I know that there are some of you today who have been thinking, maybe those who were listening last night or watching last night, you were, you were thinking, I want the Holy Spirit. I just need to get good enough or better. I need to make some improvements in myself. I think you'll find that you will be frustrated through that process. There is another process. Receive the Holy Spirit. Start having fellowship with him, allow him to lead you and to guide you, you will become stronger in following the Lord when the Lord is on the inside. You will find that when the Lord is living inside of you through the Holy Spirit, that you have more power to live for him. You can actually mature in a different way when the Holy Spirit fills you. Peter didn't just get good enough, and then he could receive the Holy Spirit. He received the Holy Spirit, and then he started changing. He had a different kind of boldness. He had the boldness of his personality, and sometimes first side, and, and sometimes uh, a, a, an exaggerated sense of his own power. But when he experienced the humility of seeing limits of his own power, that he was not able to keep faith perfectly the way he thought he could. He was tempted to withdraw. He was tempted to disconnect from the Lord. Don't give in to that temptation. Instead, humbly say to the Lord, okay, I see now my own weakness. I need you, Lord. I need your Holy Spirit. Fill me up. Lead me, train me, equip me, empower me, change me from the inside out. You see, that's the promise of the new covenant that's talked about in Jeremiah 31, chapter 31, starting in verse 31. It's the promise that the new covenant is not just a matter of external regulations about holiness, but the new covenant is a renewal of what God did, but a different thing that he did at Sinai. 
And as we're approaching Shavuot, it's important for us to recognize the similarities, the, the complementarity of what God did at Shavuot in Jerusalem and what he did at Shavuot on Sinai. He did two different things. He gave us Torah, an objective um, declaration of the will of God and his holiness and, and guidance for our life as individuals and our life as a nation and a people. But in Jerusalem, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on Shavuot, he did something different. He renewed the covenant, the, the covenant, but he improved it as well. He refreshed it. He added additional benefits and he changed something that he had revealed through prophecy he would change. Instead of the laws of God being external and us measuring ourselves by that, he gave us the Holy Spirit to live inside of us, to speak to our hearts, to guide us from the inside out instead of just the outside in. It's a powerful change. It's important to recognize. That's one of the myths I think that's worth addressing. If you have been under this false notion that you need to get good enough, I want to tell you it is a false notion. Now, don't, don't take this wrong. And I'm not saying that right behavior and righteous behavior is irrelevant. It's not. And of course, to do good is important. To be obedient is important. To be set free in order to follow the Lord. This is all very important. To have the atoning sacrifice of the Lord apply grace in your life so that you can do the will of God. This is very important. But even having said that, you cannot become perfect on your own. You cannot become good enough on your own. You need the spirit of God. And some of you, I think, if you can take this to heart and you can allow this to change your mind, it will revolutionize what's ahead for you. And you will be able to receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the days ahead, maybe even this morning, maybe tomorrow, maybe on the evening of Shavuot or Yom Shavuot next week, you will be able to receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That is such an important understanding to have. I think that there is another myth or misunderstanding that's worth addressing this morning as well. And I, I would put it this way. It's the idea that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the gift of tongues and the speaking of tongue in tongues, this is just a form of ecstasy. And it is just a kind of emotional release. That is really not correct. Though it touches the emotion, it is not primarily an emotional release. One of the things that's happening when we're uh, receiving the gift of tongues, is, is that we are connecting with God in a new way. And we're able to pray in different ways. We're able to pray with intercession. We're able to worship in a different way. We're able to connect our heart in a new way that's, that's not so limited. You see, there, there is a joy, it's true, that, that comes with the gift of the Holy Spirit. There is a joy that comes even with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the gift of tongues. There is a joy, but it's not just an emotion. 
It's something more than that. It's the joy that comes from having that new and direct experience of God working in your life. There is a joy that comes whenever you follow the Lord. There's a joy when you don't know how to pray and you begin to pray in the spirit, with the spirit, in the, with the gift of tongues. And then God pours out understanding upon you. And what started as a spiritual kind of prayer without being able to concretely engage your intellect becomes a prayer that does engage your intellect. So it's not just about ecstasy. And, and some people, rightly so, are reluctant to even pursue the gift of tongues because they don't want to go overboard in uh, emotional ecstasy. They know that emotions are not that dependable. And if you base your spiritual life and your experience with the Holy Spirit entirely on emotions, then you'll become imbalanced and you'll become unreliable. So that's one of the myths that I want to dispel if I can. And if you have believed that myth, I would encourage you to abandon it. It's not really a great myth. And then an, another myth, this is one that Rabbi Yuri addressed earlier. Um, it has to do with the idea that when you're filled with the spirit and living by the spirit, you're living in a different dimension in a different world and everything's spontaneous and you, you even feel guilty if you try to plan something or if you try to reason things out. That's a false understanding because God, as Rabbi Yuri very, um, very thoroughly addressed, God is not a God of disorder. God is a God of peace. And it's important to understand this, that shalom, the peace of God, doesn't just mean the absence of conflict. It also means the presence of positive qualities of a peaceful existence. But shalom also means wholeness and completeness. And there is something about God pouring out his shalom upon us and us entering into his shalom that brings completion to us. It, it adds something to us. It doesn't replace something, it adds something. So having the Holy Spirit adds to us, it doesn't replace. It doesn't replace our intellect. It doesn't replace our ability to reason. It doesn't replace our ability to think through things or even to engage in rational discussion. So if, if there are people today who are saying, you know, I've always been afraid of the baptism of the Holy Spirit because I see that the people who, who seem to promote it the most really are anti-intellectual and, and they're, they're anti-intellect and I'm not. I would say, don't be anti-intellectual. Understand this, that the Spirit of God actually boosts your intellect. The Spirit of God will make you smarter. You will be able to think in a different way. You'll be able to pray when you don't know how to pray and you wish you did know how to pray. You'll be able to pray with the gift of the Spirit, with a spiritual language, yes, a spiritual language, in a language you don't fully understand and may not understand at all sometimes. You will pray with the Spirit, and then something will happen. It'll be an amazing experience, I think, for some of you. Your intellect, 
your understanding will suddenly be fully engaged and you will understand how to pray. You would have had other options how to pray. You could have guessed, you could have even used that generic kind of prayer, oh Lord, bless this person. You know, I don't know. But that's not how God wants us to pray. He wants us to pray with effectiveness. He wants us to pray with specificity. He wants to pray with concreteness. And I'm so grateful that the man who led me to the Lord, Pat Pritchard, taught me how important it is to pray with specificity, to speak to God in detail so that when he answers you, you really know it. When you don't know how to pray with specificity, don't just switch to generic prayer and broad generalities. Pray in the spirit, with the spirit, with the gift of the spirit, with the gift of your prayer language, that special unknown language. That's not a human language. It's something else. It's not just an ecstasy. It's something else. But pray in that language, and then you will find your understanding kicks in in a new way. And you know how to pray because God has enabled you to pray with your spirit and with your understanding. There's a lot of complexity to the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's not just a simple thing. And, and in the days ahead, we'll look at some of the complexity. But I want to encourage you to, to understand that you can be spirit-led and still be a person who thinks well who thinks concretely, who develops their intellect and loves God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all of your mind. Use all those capacities, and I think it will go well with you. Having said all that, I want to, I want to return to a topic from last night that I spoke about, about Yeshua and the Holy Spirit. And I, I want to speak about the idea of Yeshua being fully man and yet fully God. And again, I want to speak about his humanness, as I did last night, because he was, he was truly a man. He wasn't just an um, appearance of a man, but he actually had a human body. But what's important to understand, and this is profoundly important, it's foundationally important as well. If you get this detail wrong, you will get almost everything wrong about the story of Yeshua the Messiah. God Adonai, the Lord God of heaven and earth, came down to earth and took on a human body. That's something that he did. And in doing so, he became a kinsman redeemer for us. It was necessary for him to be a kinsman redeemer. It is not correct to think that Yeshua was a holy man who was so holy and so good that he became divine. That is a wrong understanding. It's a misunderstanding. It is not what the New Covenant scriptures taught or teach. It is not what the apostles thought. It is not what Yeshua taught. Yeshua taught that he was Adonai. Yes, Adonai. And yet he had a human body. His human body was mortal. His human body was human in the same way that yours and mine was and is. His human body could sense, could feel. His human body was subject to all sensations, to taste and touch and hearing and seeing and, and so forth. He 
through his human body, was able to feel the emotions. He had all the hormonal responses of emotions and thoughts. Have you ever had, an, had an, a reaction to something that caused you to feel something in the pit of your stomach? Yeshua could too. He could feel just the way that you and I could feel. But how did God, who can be everywhere, how could he be somewhere concretely? Well, we know from the earlier revelation that God who can be everywhere can be somewhere. He can, he can come down from heaven. He can walk with Adam. That's where the God of the universe, the God who is bigger than the universe, the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who spoke and things came to pass. He called light, light be and light was. God has that creative power. And yet he also had the ability to come down into the time space world and to be present with Adam and to walk in the garden and to be heard by. Adam, to speak words that Adam could hear. How do we we reconcile that? Well, God can be both outside the universe and he can come inside the universe. How does he do this? Well, there's a Jewish concept called Simtsum. There's no Christian concept that really correlates with it or any other um, English word that, that is like a commensurate word for, for Tsum, but Tsum is a kind of self-limitation and kind of restraint that God exercised. And through Tsum, through him exercising this kind of self-limitation as the sovereign and all-powerful one, he limited himself. He made room for creation. He made room for humanity being able to have free will and to make decisions. He gave room to people so that they could learn to love. And also they could learn not to love. They had to learn. We have to learn how to do this. So Tim is a way that God reduces himself. Now I, w- I want to compare it to something because the concept is kind of abstract. And yet I think it's a, it's a valuable concept and it remedies the false contradictions between the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. God can be sovereign, but he can limit his sovereignty. And man has free will, but man doesn't always have free will. In this way, God sometimes in his sovereignty exercises sovereign choice and settles a matter before humans have settled it. And we just have to recognize that. But there are other times when God fully gives us the power to make decisions. And those decisions are on our shoulders. The consequences are a result that comes with those decisions. Those are also on our shoulders. But I wanna compare Tsum to something that every parent can relate to. Every parent who has had a child, a little baby who, who started crawling. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about that stage when the child started going from crawling to standing on their own power. Maybe in their crib, they learned to um, use their hands and to try to stand up. Maybe there were times where you as a parent put your hands out and the child could latch onto your thumbs. Do you remember this? I have fond memories um, of of doing this with little babies in, in our family. And the little child 
takes the thumbs, the hands you hold on, and that little child with weak legs starts to stand up. And what do you do? What do you do as a parent? What do you do as a grandparent? You help that child. You encourage that child. You say, oh, you're doing so well. You call the child by name. You change your voice to the pitch that a child loves to hear. And you smile. You delight in that child being able to do this, though you know inside the child isn't really ready to walk on their own. But you recognize this is a step. And you offer yourself freely. And the child learned something through this. Now, there's another time later as the child has practiced and gotten stronger and as their body is developing, they start getting up on their own and they take steps. And there is, a, there is an age where they're toddling and they may topple when they toddle. They may fall down. In fact, they will fall down you know they will. And it's not a bad thing that they fall down. It's a necessary thing. And they will get back up. You may help them get back up again. And then they'll walk again, maybe a few steps. Now, when you take your hands away, when you allow that little child to start walking on their own, that's like a human tsum. You're restraining yourself. You're limiting yourself. You're limiting your sovereign power so that you allow that child to learn to walk and to actually exercise the ability to walk. That's a comparison I think every parent and every grandparent, every adult can relate to. There's a kind of self-limitation. In the same way, God self-limited and he made room so that you and I, could have the ability to make decisions. We could grow. We could find that we're learning to love. We could try to pursue God. We could go after God. We could recognize even the need for forgiveness and accept his forgiveness. But as you are doing that, as you are following the Lord, you will find a necessary discovery. You will learn that you still can't do it on your own. This is part of what Yeshua was trying to teach his disciples. I have to return to heaven, he told them, so that I can send the Holy Spirit to you. Wait for him. Stay at home until you receive him. Stay together in the upper room. Don't go out into Jerusalem without him. Don't go out into Judea and Samaria. Don't go out Samaria. Don't go out into the uttermost parts of the world without the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. You need the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You need the righteousness of the Holy Spirit. You need his boldness. You see, the Holy Spirit inside of you connects you with God, repairs the brokenness of your spirit, brings healing to you, you need the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit as soon as you become a believer. You don't want to wait months or years. There are some people who have put off receiving Tevilah Baruch HaKodesh, the immersion of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, even the spiritual gifts of languages, of speaking in tongues, of prayer language, of, of uh, prophetic language and intercessory language. You've put that off because... You didn't think you were good enough? You're not. 
or you didn't want to go overboard in ecstatic emotion, you don't have to. But you've put off something that you don't need to put off. You can say to the Lord, I want your Holy Spirit. Fill me up. And then there's, it can feel a little bit dangerous because the Holy Spirit has boldness that exceeds our boldness. And he will sometimes, when he fills us up, he will empower us to do something we would never choose to do on our own. But we say yes to him because we know that in saying yes, he will be with us. He will empower us. He will bring good to us. You see, the spirit of God in you, this also is important. We need the Holy Spirit. It's not just that we need to know about the Holy Spirit. It's not just that we need to accept that there is Holy Spirit. We need the promise that God has made that the Holy Spirit would be poured out so that each one of us would have the Spirit of God living on the inside and empowering us from the inside to connect with God and to connect with each other. I want to stir your appetite. I want you to appreciate what Yeshua has done. He returned to heaven to send the Holy Spirit to live within us. Our, our task is simply to say, yes, I want the Holy Spirit. We welcome him. We receive him. And remember these words, the spirit of God in us teaches us. The spirit of God in us guides us and leads us. The spirit of God in us gives us boldness. He adds power to us. The spirit of God in us works in us and through us and adds his gifts to us and enables us to better connect with God. We need the Spirit of God. We need him personally. We need his ministry. We need his gifts. We need his power. We need his perspective. We need him to live for God. So I want to encourage you. Say the simple prayer with me. Lord, I want your Holy Spirit. I want to be filled with your Holy Spirit. Lord, I want the immersion of the Holy Spirit. I want everything that you've promised through the Holy Spirit. I want the gift of tongues. I want other spiritual gifts as well. I want every spiritual gift you want to give me. And I thank you, Lord, that you've made it possible for me to receive the Holy Spirit because of what you've done by dying for me, by conquering the, the power of death and sin, by liberating me, by redeeming me by bringing me out of bondage into new life and by returning to heaven and then pouring out the Holy Spirit. Thank you for what you have done. I could never deserve your Holy Spirit, Lord, but I know that you freely give him to all of your children. If you pray like this, I can tell you something. That may be your first prayer. It may be the beginning. Some of you may actually be filled with the Holy Spirit even right now as we're praying like this. Others of you, as we go through the days ahead, I can assure you of this. Keep this prayer in your heart. Continue to pray. You may be one of those people who needs to seek the Lord several times and pray several times. You may need one of us praying for you. Those of us who have um, had repeated success praying for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to receive spiritual gifts. Those of us who have had uh, many, many experiences in the past praying for such people and seeing God faithfully answer. I, I, I want to assure you of this, even if it takes multiple prayers and it takes a number of different people praying for you, let it be. 
say yes to the Lord about that. Don't say, oh, I'm only willing to do this once. And if it doesn't work the way I think it should on the first time, I give up. Don't give up. Don't be a quitter. Keep going. Well, this is a wonderful time. It's such an exciting time. You know, we're not quitters. Um, Sandy and I are quitters. Sandy and I are celebrating our 44th anniversary today. In 1976, we got married. It was a, it was a beautiful Sunday morning, right? Yeah. And we were outside at my parents' house, and uh, it, it was just wonderful. I said yes to the Lord in an unusual way by getting married because I wasn't really a believer in Yeshua at the time. Um, I was, I didn't know what I was doing, but I said yes to the Lord. And I had, um, I had a desire to know the truth. And by saying yes to the Lord and by marrying Sandy, I took a step forward. I really didn't know where that was going to lead, but thank God, Sandy was instrumental in helping me understand and see that Yeshua was the Messiah. Honey, thank you. you. You can't tell right now. She's in the room. She'll come on camera in just a minute. But thank you so much. You changed my life for the better. And I wouldn't be living this life without you. I couldn't do it. I couldn't have done it. And I won't be able to do it without you. I need you. I love you. And these 44 years have been so important. It's actually 44 plus because, of course, we fell in love before. And we got married and we worked on our marriage and we continue to work on our marriage because we value our marriage. Anything that's worth a high value takes time and effort and requires investment. Marriages require constant investment. I want to encourage everyone, don't be a quitter. Don't give up. Be faithful to the wife of your youth. Be faithful to your wife and it will go well with you. So, well, it's a great day, and I'm going to be celebrating this afternoon with my wife on our back porch on this glorious day in Jacksonville. It is hot. It is humid. It is Jacksonville, and um, we're going to have a wonderful time. I want to also recommend something to you that you check out Cantor Aaron Jacobs' Torah teaser this week. It is posted on the same page and you can just scroll down. Look for the, the Torah teaser that's dated for today, but it has as, as the, uh, the still picture, you know, the, the photo, the featured photo, it has a man in the water with uh, goggles on, with a face mask on, and that's Cantor Aaron. And it is absolutely wonderful. This, I think, may be the first time in my knowledge, maybe in history, that an underwater cantor has actually given a Torah teaser and come up out of the water and shared with us a profound truth from Cantor Aaron's nautical experience. And then he actually finishes and goes back underwater. An amazing guy, a true Navy man. And Cantor Aaron, we're so proud of you and so excited about your creativity in this period in your life, this new phase of your life. And we're just encouraged 
that you have found new ways to communicate that are interesting and clever and also very truthful. I also want to say thanks to everyone who's continuing to support Beth Israel with your faithful giving, your tithes, your offerings, your sacrificial giving, your great generosity. It makes all the difference in the world. And we are so grateful to you. We're thanking God for you. Those of you who would like to participate through online giving, you can find out how by going to BethIsraelNow.com slash giving. There's all the information about how you can use Giving Fire or PayPal, our two online giving services, and they are very secure. We've had no problems. They're easy to set up and easy to customize. So I encourage you to do that. You can also use the postal service, USPS, and send us checks and mail order checks and postal checks, all the ways that you can uh, send money through the mail. Don't send cash through the mail. That's not a secure thing to do. But I want to thank everybody who has been generous and sacrificial as well. We're so grateful to you. And we are moving forward. We're saying Kadima. You might want to say that too. It's a Hebrew word that means forward or charge as part of our vocabulary here at Beth Israel. Kadima. And we say that to you. Um, we're going to close this segment with Aaron's blessing. And Sandy's going to join right now. Sandy, come on up and... Thank you. You have something to share first? I do. The Holy Spirit's been speaking to me this week about strangers. And one thing he said to me was, you never know who a stranger will become to you. And um, on our anniversary, I want to tell you that uh, David and I met because he was a stranger who came to help um, me and a, another woman I was with who had a flat tire. And he, um, after calling everybody we knew that lived in the Blue Ridge Mountains where we were at the time, my friend said, I know somebody that will come regardless of how inconvenient it is. And I didn't know David and he came in his car with another friend and there were four of us that had to cram in the back seat because I was with my friend and another child and uh, a disabled child whose parents would let me take for drives. So David came to pick us up and uh, we, we didn't have a, a spare. So we just had to be scooped up and taken home. And he was a stranger to me. And so I just want to put you on alert. Everyone who's been so kind to respond to um, people that come on the comments, people that we don't know, you never know who they will become to you. So um, there are all kinds of uh, ways that God brings people together. And I just encourage you to be on the lookout for uh, either helping or being helped by a stranger. That experience changed my life for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so all you guys, you get a call from a friend in the street, um, respond. Yeah. You, you. you see someone on the side of the road who needs help respond with wisdom and care. 
And I tell you this, there is there may be some strangers in your life, people you don't really know, maybe you don't even know at all, but God can connect you in that stranger and turn that stranger into one of the most important people in your life or the most important person in your life. So we're celebrating that. I'm really glad for Sarah Jane's <laughs> flat, tire. flat tire, the flat tire and that phone call that she made to me that she thought enough of me that she could ask me to come and drop everything and come and pick you guys up. And I'll never forget driving back with the stranger in the back seat, Sandy, I didn't know who she was. But I was looking in my mirror, the rear view mirror, you know, I kept trying to take a look at her. <laughs> and I thought, oh, she's pretty. Oh, she's interesting. And Sandy was sitting in the back and she had this thought, oh, I like his voice. So I was a radio <laughs> newsman at the time. But yes. it, Too bad he's so young. But that we became, the other thing I that's thought. right. But we became friends over time and then good friends yes. and then best of friends. And we got married as best of friends and we've stayed best friends ever since yes so it's a wonderful thing someone who once was a stranger is now my best friend and has been for decades and decades what a great joy well we want to close this time with aaron's blessing as we normally do at beth israel if you're together with your family gathering close and let's join together and then we'll go back to the rose home for our final worship song the Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Don't forget, we'll be doing special things for Shavuot and stay tuned as we go back to the Rose Home for our final worship song. Shabbat Shalom. Oh
Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Thank you again for joining us this morning, and we will see you next week. Shalom.